Hello and welcome back to the Speak Up Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Lively. This week on the podcast, I am joined with ESPN reporter who does all different sports, sideline and sports center, Coley Harvey. You may have seen him during the coverage of the DeMar Hamlin situation earlier this year. Today, we will be talking about his journey to ESPN, covering DeMar Hamlin's story, and lots more. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, and share this podcast with other sports fans. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Coley Harvey. Well, welcome back to the Speak Up Sports podcast. I'm Anna Lively, and this week on the podcast, I am joined with a reporter who does, you know, above and beyond, but everything in between as well. He works for ESPN, Coley Harvey. Coley, thanks for coming on and joining me today. I'm so glad to be here, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So I want to start with college for you. So when you headed to college at Northwestern, did you know that you wanted to be a journalist? I actually did. I, so when I was, I would say, 12 years old, I was um, I played sports. I was a, a baseball player primarily growing up, and I really wanted to play professionally if I could have. <laughs> I had a feeling, though, that at a certain time that uh, my talent was only going to take me so far. And, um, you know, and I, I was a pretty good ball player, too. I, I was fast. I could run. I could field I could do all these things but um but I did get to a point where yeah it just wasn't really going to happen so as I started to think when I was probably about a sophomore junior in high school what would I want to do outside of that um you know I always just kind of looked at sports writing I I have you know read newspapers religiously as a kid growing up uh, I read all of the newspaper but obviously a lot of the sports section mm-hmm. I watched ESPN religiously as a kid and so I said you know what I'd love to do something like that. If I could stay around sports, but not play sports, uh, if I'm not good enough, uh, that would be great. And I've just, I've been very fortunate that my career has worked out that way. Um, When I went to school, I actually thought that I was going to be getting into more news and general journalism. I wasn't really expecting that sports would happen. Um, I got really fortunate my, between my sophomore and junior yeah between my sophomore and junior year of college um, did an internship covering major league baseball and that was that you know um, (laughs) once I did that I was like yep this is this is where I want to be I want to do this like for the rest of my career and um, I don't know it just kind of worked out here we are (laughs) well what a fun story and talking about it about you playing baseball and I know we'll talk about it a little bit later but at least the dream has has stayed alive in a in a way because you've been able to cover you know major league baseball at the highest level and in, in the playoffs as well. But that's a funny story of how you weren't sure exactly what direction you were going to go until that internship. But after graduating, what was your first job then? Uh, my first job, full time job, was uh, actually at a newspaper that I interned with in college uh, back in my home state. I'm from Atlanta originally, but. Um, I worked for the Macon Telegraph. Uh, Macon's a little over an hour south of Atlanta. So it's a smaller city, but, um, you know, it's probably the second or third largest city in the state of Georgia outside of the metropolitan Atlanta area. 
And um, at that time, the newspaper was was doing well enough to where uh, I was essentially tasked with not only doing local and high school sports, but my primary my uh, primary obligation was covering Georgia Tech. So mm-hmm. I basically was in Atlanta back and forth a lot covering uh, Georgia Tech football and basketball and baseball was a big thing there as well. Uh, so I mainly covered those three sports and uh, I was actually there for essentially four football seasons. It was at the end, just after my fourth football season, when I got my new job and that was covering more college sports, but covering Florida state, which was a much higher profile um, team. And I was working for a, a bigger newspaper and a bigger market. Um, big, essentially I covered the entire state of Florida. <laughs> um, <laughs> That was, uh, although I was working for the Orlando Sentinel, we had, um, you know, agreements with the South Florida Sun Sentinel, which was our, our sister paper, and then um, also the Jacksonville Times Union and the Tampa Bay Times. So essentially the entire state of Florida was reading my um, uh, Florida State coverage, which was great. And that kind of put me on the radars of people who I call bosses now. <laughs> so um, it's crazy how, how careers can work out that way. But that was my first job was back in my home state. And um, it was great because I was around home. And at that time, I wasn't making a whole lot of money. So it was really <laughs> nice to be to be around, um, to be around home and, and to be able to make life work that way, too. <laughs> well, that's great that you started, you know, close to home. And then you were able to continue to grow not only as like a writer, but like profile wise, like expanding to like a higher profile team in college. And so how did you then begin your career with ESPN? T- tell me about that story. Yeah, so it was while I was in Florida. Um, I can't remember. I think the first time I had applied for a job at ESPN, I can't remember. There were there were two times while I was in Florida where uh, we had both been in contact, ESPN mm-hmm. and I. And uh, one of the jobs was a really high profile college football job that came down to me and two other people who I actually knew. I actually knew the other two guys, and um, went to one of them. I uh, did not end up getting that. And I think then ESPN a couple months later came after me for a different job that I actually turned them down. I didn't, it, it didn't feel like it was going to fulfill me. It didn't feel like it was the right fit for me. Um, I felt really comfortable with where I was at that moment. And so I turned them down and I know that probably shocked a lot of people like, well, ESPN comes <laughs> right. at your age, you should take it. Right. You know? Um, but I think that said something to some folks that I'm, serious about my career and trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how I can grow in my career. And so I think it was a year later, (laughs) um, uh, a person who was working um, in kind of the editorial department at that time uh, knocked on my door. He happened to be a big Florida State fan. So we were (laughs) in communication because I was covering his team and he was reading everything that I wrote. So we were in communication And he said, hey, man, we're starting this thing at ESPN called NFL Nation, where essentially we're going to have a reporter covering every NFL team. Um, You know, we'd be interested in you if you'd like to come. And I said, well, yeah. (laughs) So so sure enough, uh, that's kind of how I really got on ESPN's radar. And, um, you know, I was covering Florida State for maybe two and a half years when I got the phone call about NFL Nation. And I then spent three seasons covering the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati. And, you know, the Bengals are like the it team all of a sudden now. Exactly. <laughs> when I was there, they were still good. They, they made it to the playoffs every year. But, um, you know, a lot of the people on the team were totally different. The ownership and, and all of that, a lot of the front office mm-hmm. is the same. 
but uh, but so many other faces are now gone. There's only mm-hmm. there's only two players on the current Bengals team that were there when I was covering the team, and that's just that's mainly how how in and out the uh, the NFL is. You yeah, know, that turnover. Much of a revolving door. So much turnover. So um, so yeah, so that's mainly how I got on ESPN's radar, and uh, and it's been a journey even since then too. <laughs> well, what an interesting and unique way, you know it between the two of you for the first couple of years, but then you started there and you talked about it covering the Bengals primarily, but like mm-hmm. you've covered multiple different teams throughout your career so far, you know, as a beat reporter, like how would you say you've been able to like juggle the different coverage based on the different teams and stories that occur? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I think it mainly comes down to something that I always thought about, even with my very first job is, even though I'm not necessarily a fan of these teams, granted, it, it helped me maybe growing up in Atlanta and being very familiar with Georgia Tech, knowing how good the basketball program was for a really mm-hmm. long time, the football program, maybe not, maybe doesn't get the national recognition as the University of Georgia now, but right. technically Georgia Tech still has more national titles than UGA, which now has three, which is crazy to even fathom that UGA has that many now, but technically Tech has one more. Uh, so it's still a, a storied uh, 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 tradition and legacy there. And I, I think because I was so familiar with it, I could see how even though the fan base may be the second smallest in the state from a college standpoint, mm-hmm. it still is a very passionate fan base. And that's always what I wanted to take with every job that I've had. It doesn't matter whether it's the Cincinnati Bengals, Georgia Tech, Florida State or the New York Yankees, all these beats that I've covered. I just always know that the people who are reading and paying attention, they are passionate. And in order for, for their passions to be fulfilled, I've got to come with a level of passion. Mm-hmm. I have to, uh, you know, you know, write as a fan, but you, you try to ask the kind of questions that you know fans are curious about mm-hmm. while also doing the objective work of just telling the truth, whether it's good or bad or indifferent about that team. And I think that level of passion just is always... Uh, tended to come out in my coverage and I've I've had fans there it feels like every time I've left a beat the fans are like why where are you going why are you <laughs> uh, because they really felt like they could identify with how I was covering the team because yeah they could tell okay yeah you're not necessarily you're not rooting for our, our team but you're telling us how it is and you're doing it in a fun and engaging and interesting way um, and I, I think that's just that's mainly how I've been able to make it work but it is it's definitely pouring yourself into whatever that team or that sport mm-hmm. is pouring yourself into it. Just like those fans um, do every, every week, if it's football or every day, if it's baseball. Right. Yeah. I love that. You talk about trying to be like objective, but at the same time, bringing fun to the fans and doing the best job that you can in that work in the different aspects, depending on the sport and the coverage. But so then you went to ESPN. Let's get back to that a little bit. So I know a bi- one of the big things that you covered in 2016 was the death of the all-time great Muhammad Ali. So what was that coverage like for you? Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a crazy week. And I've been thinking about it a lot in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I know we'll probably talk about mm-hmm. what I've been up to lately, and I, but it's been on my mind for those reasons too. Um, so in 2016, I was still covering the Bengals for ESPN and I was living in Cincinnati and uh, there was this one Thursday that I had a good buddy of mine that said, Hey, you know, let's play basketball. They were trying to play basketball once a week. I'm not very good at basketball. I'm pretty, me neither. (laughs) 
pretty athletic, but I'm not good at basketball. I just have never been. And for whatever reason, this one day, I was so nervous about getting hurt. I, you know, I think part of it was there was a Bengals coach, because at this time, the Bengals were in their off-season workouts. And so they had a basketball court in their facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the player, Andy Dalton's amazing. Andy Dalton was the quarterback at the time. He's an amazing basketball player. A.J. Green, amazing basketball player. So one of their coaches who's not that much older than me, he's probably five or six years older than I am. He was playing and tore his Achilles. <laughs> and so um, he was like on this scooter for the longest time. Oh, and in wow. my head, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get hurt. So anyway, my friends somehow twist my arm, convinced me to play. So I go play on that Thursday. The reason that's important is because the next day I was supposed to drive from Cincinnati home to Atlanta. It's a six hour drive. And, um, I got hurt playing basketball. Oh. I basically, I basically broke a toe. <laughs> um, oh my goodness! I, I felt like I could do about a two-hour drive, but I could only I could not do six. I definitely couldn't do six. So I kept trying to wait and wait and see if it would get better all that day, and it didn't. And so finally, I called my parents and said, "I'm staying home." That night, I'm sitting at home, and boom, the alert comes across the bottom of the screen that Muhammad Ali had passed. And, you know, we knew that the couple of days leading up, he was starting to not do so well. So you kind of knew that it may happen, but still to actually see that news, it was jarring. Mm -hmm. And again, at this time, I wasn't doing a ton of TV. It was mostly writing. And anytime it was on air, it was basically when the Bengals were going to the playoffs. So it wasn't a whole lot of the year, but I had a rapport with a couple of the television uh, bosses that I had at the time. And I emailed one at, I think it was, uh, it was, it was just after midnight. It was like 1230 AM. And I'm just like, Hey, I know that the scene is going to shift to Louisville. Although Ali died in, in Arizona, he's from Louisville. Um, I lived at that time being in Cincinnati, I lived an hour and a half away from Louisville. So I said, if there's anything I can help with it all this week, just let me know. And at 2 AM, I don't know how I was awake, but at 2 AM, my boss, or uh, that that boss emailed back and said, uh, yeah, could you be there by 8 a.m.? Could you be in Louisville by 8? We'd love to help. And I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> so I did not get any sleep that night. I just jumped in the car. I remember talking to my dad because I tried to fall asleep and I saw that he was awake. And was your toe better then? My toe was not better. This is, this is <laughs> one day later. My toe is is just trash. It's awful. But again, I knew I could drive maybe two hours. I knew I could stomach that. So he's like, well, you should just go. You should just make it over there. You know, don't go to sleep. Just pack all your stuff and go. So I thought I was going to be there for like maybe a day or two. Um, I ended up being our lead reporter on the ground that entire week uh, from the day after Ali's death to the memorial, which was a a week later um, that following Friday. And we were doing coverage every day, coming up with different stories every day and it was certainly a very somber feeling in the air there in his hometown for the first two or three days. But by the middle of that next week, it was like a true celebration of this man who was larger than life, this true celebration of his life. And that um, I was so proud of our coverage from uh, from that. So that's kind of that story. A uh, couple weeks later, um the one of the old bosses at Sports Center called me up and said, Hey man, uh realize that we've been having these talks here in Bristol, but haven't talked to you yet. Uh, would you be interested in being part of the Sports Center Bureau team? Essentially being a 
TV only reporter for Sports Center covering just about any sport. <laughs> I was like, of course, you know. <laughs> so I, the reason I know it's a long story, but the reason why I tell the foot story is important because you never know what opportunities are around the corner. You know, something very bad could happen to you. Like I broke a toe, um, but yet this really good thing for my career was right around the corner. Um, and it's it's being able to just kind of take that that risk and say, hey, I don't know if somebody's going to respond to this email or not, but I'm going to send it anyway. Um, it's some of that as well. That Those are the kinds of things that really differentiate, can differentiate people and can uh, can give you, yeah, that opportunity that maybe you've been kind of waiting for. Um, and so I, I'd always hoped that I'd get on TV at a, by a certain age. And I was on TV a couple of years before that. So um, because of because of all of this. So uh, so that's why I always share that toe story. Not a lot of people know it, but it's now your listeners and viewers are going to know. <laughs> well, I love it. What a unique story, because it's something that you originally felt was like a negative thing, obviously, because it was very painful, right? You got hurt and then <laughs> it ended up basically possibly like changing the course of your career to a certain degree okay. because of such an enormous story of one of the all-time greatest athletes of all time and so you know also I thought it was interesting that you talked about being willing to just put an email out there or reach out to someone regardless of if you know you'll hear back or not but willing to take that risk and do that so I thought great great insight there thanks for sharing that story and you touched a little bit about it on the joining sports center but so you've been covering uh, a lot of your coverage has been with sports center so over the last year, what would you say one of your favorite events has been to cover with them? Oh, the last year, I would say my favorite event, my favorite event, just because it was the first time I had done anything like this with baseball, which is my favorite sport. Um, but I was on our coverage team, uh, on our on our broadcast team for the uh, wild card series between the uh, Blue Jays and Seattle Mariners. And you know, just with the storyline of Seattle, it had been 20 years, right. they had been in the playoffs and their fans were so animated and excited. And the team kind of had this like, you know, chip on its shoulder where it's like, you know, we don't care what we do. We're, we're, we're glad to be here. But we're going to play mm -hmm. as best as we can. And then, of course, they win that that series. And then being in Toronto, which is such a good baseball city, mm -hmm. especially in the postseason, you know, there's a lot right. of energy there. Um, that was probably my favorite event that I've covered this past year, um, covering the NBA playoffs from primarily the um, the conference finals through the finals was was pretty sweet, too. I, that that was on my bucket list of things to do and to have gotten a chance to do that was pretty awesome, too. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. A fun series with so many, you know, young talent with Julio Rodriguez, Vlad, you know, Bo Bichette, you name it, you uh -huh. know, that <laughs> series, it, I bet that's going to become, you know, an interesting series of, you know, rivalry, possibly in the future, you know, <laughs> it could. I mean, and it's what's funny is uh, I didn't really know this until working that series, but because although Toronto is, you know, kind of on the eastern mm -hmm. half of this, the country of Canada, the Blue Jays are basically Canada's team. So, you know, they've got 40 million followers they're, they're Anytime they're on TV, the entire country is watching. And so even if you're in Vancouver, where you might be just right across the channel, essentially to Seattle, uh, you're still a Blue Jays fan for the most part. So yeah, that, that is going to be, 
a really a, a fun rivalry and series going forward I think yeah yes for sure how fun so I know you do like reporting live and we talked about a little bit, but for the pieces that you do more so that air on like sports center, like the different pieces that you do, like what preparation goes into doing that? Like how you write that or how you script it, those types of things. Uh, That's a good question. It depends on the types of pieces. Uh, There are some that we do for sports center. For example, I, I was more of a feature. Um, I'm thinking of this piece back in August where I uh, I had found out that speaking of Georgia Tech, I still know people who work around the program there, and they had tipped me off that Peyton Manning was going to be on campus, um, helping give out a scholarship in the name of Demarius Thomas, who had played at Georgia Tech, but also played with Peyton on the Denver Broncos, and um, of course, just a little over a year ago, Demarius uh, had died um, at home. And so, uh, so Peyton really wanted to, Peyton, of course, didn't go to Georgia Tech, but he wanted to be part of an, an, an academic scholarship at Tech in his former teammate's name, and he was going to be back on campus for that. And just because it's Peyton and also because of the story of Demarius and how loved he's, he's, he was, um, both as a professional, but also in college, I had pitched going down there a couple of weeks before the actual event. And my bosses were like, yeah, let's make a whole feature out of it. And so that was the kind of preparation where it, it took some, you know, putting things in place. It mm-hmm. took a couple of weeks. Uh, then once you're in the event, you're just kind of going with whatever you can get footage wise, interview wise. And I mean, it all worked out so much more perfectly than we could have even drawn up. Um, so those are those are some of those kinds of features where you have a little more time. And then the other pieces that you might be mostly talking about, we do these sports center reports, which are like, mm-hmm. it's essentially every night. And when I talk to some of the, the producers who run those shows, the six o'clock sports center shows, they say that they always like to think of the six o'clock, 6 p.m. show as being like the nightly news for sports. So mm. if there is some major, or even if it's not that major, but some event in sports that is kind of like the thing people are talking about that day, the news of the day, they want that to be a, a story that gets a lot of um, a lot of good life and a good report. And that's the kind of report where you're getting some interviews if you can, um, you know, you're, uh, you're trying to dive a little bit deeper than just the surface line head, headline. And, um, and so that's the kind of thing where prep time, I mean, it's that day, <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, there have been days where the report doesn't really become clear until about 11am or noon. And if the show's at 6pm, that still sounds like that's a long gap of time. But if you're trying to get an interview, <laughs> right. <laughs> the time diminishes, you've got to get the piece edited. I've got to be able to speak the narration and track it. Um, and we've got to get other other elements that we want for the piece. So that six hours that feels like a long time, it shrinks very, very quickly. <laughs> um, so there's not a whole lot of prep time. There's there's days when I kind of have an idea of what that piece might be, but I'm mm-hmm. still, you know, before I even sit down to write, I'm still, you know, doing my research, trying to figure just what all it is. Um, so that moves very quickly. And that that you tend to see more of those kinds of stories in news. We don't do it as much overall in sports. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what really differentiates that particular show and why Sports Center is such a a, a vital piece of of telling sports uh, stories. Because um, the other day, for example, we did this piece that a lot of people have talked about. I've seen it uh, in other places, but 
I think we had a level of nuance and, and context that a lot of folks mm-hmm. didn't really have. Um, and that being a piece on this uh, gymnast for right. LSU, who, uh, you know, who's basically an influencer on TikTok and has this, you know, these crazy NIL deals. Right. Live done. Right. Yeah. Olivia Dunn and, and basically being her, not really harassed because in a way she's kind of accepting some of it, but mm-hmm. still the, 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 the attention that she's receiving could potentially be dangerous. And mm-hmm. her school is beginning to see that and other opponents and teammates are starting to see that. So, um, so sometimes it's looking at things that aren't just that surface level, what you think of when you think sports or sports center, it's looking mm-hmm. at other issues in sports as well. And that's, that's what I enjoy. Yes, absolutely. And thanks for sharing that interesting behind the scenes about how the preparation can differ depending on what the piece is like, you know, from being in person more so for that Peyton Manning scholarship thing, than to like more coverage of what you've talked about recently of those pieces in a short amount of time to do all those different aspects. And so you talked about it being, you know, like the cover stories, but the cover stories of all cover stories of 2023 so far uh, you have been at the forefront of the Damar Hamlin situation. And so I imagine it this year didn't exactly start as you had expected it to when you were covering this game. But can you talk about what those days were like shortly after, you know, the Monday night game that was, you know, postponed and later canceled, but then how you were able to cover this incredibly tough situation? Um, you know, I'm still wrapping my head around that, to be honest. Um, and as I talked to a lot of people in the days since now that we're on this side of things where DeMar is out of the hospital, he's been out of the hospital for several days now, he's at home and he's recovering. And, you know, there's a lot of positive. Uh, but even as I was talking with someone yesterday who's close to him, you know, that person kind of reminded me that um, he still has a very long recovery. And, you know, it, it, it's been easy for people to say, oh, you know, he's out of the hospital, all's good. And, Mm-hmm. Um, no, he's he's still going through uh, through his round of testing and, um, you know, and he, they're beginning some of the rehab and that kind of thing. So it's going to take a little while before he's fully back to himself. But once that happens, he will be. Um, but that being said, uh, so I think that's part of the reason why I'm still kind of processing mm-hmm. everything that's happened the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's like once that story happens, uh you you have to find answers that's what especially in this case everyone was looking for answers is he okay what happened will he be okay what's the long-term prognosis what's the short term looking like um how did this happen you know all these questions that as a non-doctor i'm really not equipped to answer right (laughs) um but as a journalist and i've always said this about journalists whether you're sports news features whatever um it's kind of our job to be that renaissance person, to be able to understand everything. So we didn't go to law school, but we've got to have some understanding of the law, um, of contract law even. Uh, we didn't go to medical school, but we got to know something about the human body. And, and even if we don't know things, we have to be able to talk to people that do. So um, in those days that followed, my phone was busy with uh, with. Uh, physicians who I knew, cardiologists, and uh, key, you know, I, I spoke to more car- cardiologists than anyone because this was a situation that mostly uh, impacted them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I learned so much. And I just, every time I learned something, I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to share that. So 
Uh, so that was kind of what the next days that followed were like. It was me trying to share as much information as I could about what the next few steps did look like for uh, for Damar, uh, what we did know. And again, we're not getting a lot of information from um, from his from his doctors. Uh, we did get some at points, but in the early in the early going, when we weren't. I had to share the information that I could uh, digest right. from other doctors um, to them. So. Uh, yeah, challenging story in the sense that, you know, being in sports, you don't sign up to talk about someone who potentially died actually playing their sport. Mm -hmm. But um, but when that happens, you know, we're journalists first and you throw on that news cap and you, you know, you just try to find the right answers and do it in a timely, accurate and compassionate kind of way. And I, I think that all across the board, ESPN, our coverage of, of this uh, event, I think we did a, a good job of that. Yeah, and I want to thank you and give you a huge amount of credit because I personally can't imagine what that was like to be in your situation. And as you talked about, there were so many people from so many different, you know, networks or ESPN shows that were asking you so many different questions of which you said you may not be able to answer because you weren't a doctor. But the fact that you were continuing to cover that and it's just a miracle that Damar's already out of the hospital. But as you said as well, it's still a long way to go for his recovery. So we'd definitely be praying that he continues to recover. But it's you know, thanks for sharing that unique perspective of what those days were like for you covering uh, such a hard situation at that point. Yeah, yeah, no problem. All right. Well, Coley, what I always do to finish off the podcast is what I call my favorite five questions with my guests. So first off, what would you say is one piece of advice you would give to the next generation? Um, Man, right. Uh you know, whether you create your own blog or you're just journaling or you land with a publication or whatever it is, you know, if you're if you're trying to get it, I'm assuming this is for people trying to become journalists. Um, right. You know, uh, there's nothing like having your own voice and you're never going to find your own voice. Like you're going to be 90 years old, still trying to find your voice. <laughs> But you refine it and you refine it and you have a semblance of your voice uh, the more that you do write. So I would encourage, uh, especially young journalists, yeah, write. That's I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, okay. The next one is to give a shout out to someone who's made an impact on your life. Oh my gosh. I have so many people. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to pick the easy answer just because there's so many people like I've got really good friends, mentors, but I have to shout out my parents because um you know, the various sacrifices that they've made throughout mm -hmm. their lives uh, to give me a chance to do some of the things that I've done. Um, I, you know, I mean, it's it's so meaningful and impactful to me. Um, and I, I talk to them about everything. Um, they 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 watch all of my uh, every time I'm on, if they're at home and if they're in front of a team, they're trying to watch it. So my, my parents have had a tremendous amount of uh, of impact on my life and my career and, and just everything. But there's so many people I can shout out. I have to shout <laughs> That's out. awesome. I can definitely second that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. The next one's, all right. If you had a day that you didn't have any work and you could plan your ideal day, how would you want to spend it? Um, I'm, I'm not a big swimmer, but I'm a water person. So mm -hmm. I would be spending it by the beach. Um, I have a book with me. Um, more than anything, I'm just going to be on the beach and it's going to be sunny. It's not going to be cloudy, no rain, none of that. 
Um, yeah, that's that's my ideal. <laughs> sounds that like, sounds, sounds fun. Like for vacation, right? <laughs> uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, what sport is your favorite sport to cover and why? I know you talked about baseball, but the why behind it. Yeah, yeah, baseball would probably be my favorite to play and cover. Um, it's hard to cover because it's a long year. You're you're in it just like the the players. But um, I don't know. I think because I know it so well, um, I feel I, I feel like I know every sport that I do cover. But I can be so much more analytical with baseball. Um, and I don't know, there's just something magnetic. I mean, I know that people say, oh, it's a slow sport and it does have its ebbs and flows. But when you have that key moment of a key game that right. happens, um, there's nothing more electrifying to me than, than that. I mean, you know, I'm watching, I the, agree, <laughs> you know, I'm watching a football game uh, the other night and there's a, a crazy uh, run back on the the fumble at the, the goal line there. The Bengals run it all the way back. Right. Down. That's an amazing play. But right. in baseball, you can have a small moment like that that mm -hmm. still tells the story of that game. Um, and I don't know. Exactly. That's why I love it. Awesome. So fun. All right. Well, last but not least, if you had one superpower that can make the world better, what would you want it to be and why? Ooh, a superpower that could make the world better? I mean, I I wish that there was a way that if I were a superhero that I could impart compassion to everyone, you know, mm. like I wouldn't say love because love falls underneath compassion. I think if you have a compassionate mm. spirit and a compassionate heart, that's going to lead to love. And um, I think that that's something that I've learned with covering the DeMar Hamlin story is that mm -hmm. so many people have talked about how compassionately and humanely um, ESPN's coverage of that event was both that night and in the days that followed and what I've kind of come to realize is we don't we don't have a lot of that a in media but just mm -hmm. in general in our society we don't have a lot of that these days right so if there was some way that I could be a superhero and just like beam compassion into people um I think that would be awesome you know and and I'm proud to know that at least for a couple of days at the start of this year we've beamed some level of compassion into uh, a lot of people around the world. And, um, you know, and, and DeMar has kept that going as he's, as his progress has continued. So. Yes, absolutely. I can definitely agree. Compassion is so important. And as you said, so many people came together throughout the entire world, millions of people to come together for a greater good with DeMar's situation and to see the outpour of love, as you can see with his, you know, toy drive, you know, support with that. It's, yeah. So fun to see, but thank you again, Coley, for coming on the podcast and sharing your entire story from the beginning of your career <laughs> to now and all of the different, you know, unique stories that you've covered and what it looks like to be a part of those different situations. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. And hopefully I'll get a chance to see you again very soon. Uh, hey, you know, that maybe St. Peter's will go on another run. I don't think that's going to happen. The team broken <laughs> up this year, but who knows? You're right. We we first met at March Madness, but you never know. There could be a Cinderella story, another one this year. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much, Anna. <laughs>